Welcome to another episode of the WAN Manager Podcast. As always, I am your host, Greg Bryan, and today we're going to take on a question that is frequently on the mind of both the sellers and the buyers in in the WAN market. Uh, And it is, given the trends that we're often often talking about here on the show, uh, local internet breakouts, cloud, ZTS and SASE, and of course, uh, SD-WAN, the sort of behemoth on this question, we're going to look at what is the role of MPLS in the WAN going forward. Um, so today we have a industry expert, a former telco representative and now independent consultant, Keith Langridge, to take us through uh, the many paths to answering this question. Welcome, Keith. Thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Greg. Thank you very much. Very good of you to have me. Yeah, and it's and it's great to talk to you. Um, it's it's been so long uh, since we've gotten together because you had a conflict during the last uh, London summit that ended up being the last London summit for quite some time, right? So, yeah, yeah, the uh, the only one I've missed since the very first one you guys ran in London in a, in a little basement in the yeah. uh, in the East End some while ago with the Roman Wall. Yeah, yeah. that's that a great spot. Yeah. Excellent. So we're going to get into this question, but I thought first um, it would be useful to just drop a few telegeography data points um, to set the stage. Uh, We recently published our 2020 WAN Manager survey, um, and uh, it certainly helped tell the tale of what's going on with MPLS. Uh, We found that in 2018, uh, 82% of networks, uh, um, of sites in networks on average were were running MPLS. That fell to 58% in 2020. So we do see some of this coming to fruition. Um, We found that about one third of enterprises have active MPLS backups and a quarter have passive backups. Um, What I found the most interesting, though, was we plotted SD-WAN adoption against the percentage of sites running MPLS. Um, And we found that the category of enterprise that had the least MPLS were those who had considered SD-WAN but decided against adopting it. So I think those are that's the small group, but that's the pure gung-ho internet people that are just doing everything, SaaS, UCAS, whatever. Um, and then the next smallest group of, of uh, MPLS users was uh, those who had already installed SD-WAN. So it did demonstrate that after you've adopted SD-WAN, there is uh, less MPLS uh, potential in your in your network. All right, so that kind of sets the stage. Um, Keith, uh, I, I know that you have lots to tell us about uh, this topic, but I thought first, maybe um, just for those of uh, folks in the audience who who aren't familiar with you um, that haven't been to the, the London Summit uh, since 2013, for example, <laughs> um, uh, give us a quick review of, of your background and, and maybe what you're up to now. Certainly, Greg. Yeah, thanks very much. Um, so I, uh, I spent 37 years of my career in telecoms, uh, all within BT, and all but two years of it, I was within the international um, elements of BT. I suppose my timeline and, and career in BT coincided in transport world with the era of SDH. Um, my, one of my first roles was writing the standards for SDH into the CCITT and ETSI organizations. And one of my last roles was right. funding the project to remove SDH and decommission all the equipment and take it out of the network. So uh, um, I learned several <laughs> new technologies as we went through. Yeah, Mark Twain was born with Haley's Comet and went out with you. You came into the to your career with SDH and went out. With it, right? so, <laughs> and I went out yeah. with it. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I first joined BT in the submarine cable unit um, in 1982. 
Um, and I worked on projects like TAT-8, the first transatlantic submarine cable, mm -hmm. optical fiber cable. Um, uh, and that was one of the ones I project managed and, and worked on. Um, I worked in international voice. And my first introduction really to telegeography uh, was the Bible that we had, which was the old paper copy, the book before the days of the internet, which would tell you That's the right. traffic flows of yeah. minutes around the world. Um, and BT made a considerable amount of money at that time through hubbing calls uh, between carriers around the world. Um, I have had a number of roles in strategy, acquisitions, and portfolio in the global parts of, of BT. Um, but from 2010 onwards, I took the role of Vice President of Network Services. So all of BT's transport services, uh, UK and global, so that's the MPLS, the dedicated internet, the optical, the ethernet, et cetera, satellite services, um, they were all under me. And product management role, uh, which I suppose Cisco had the equivalent business unit. So it was effectively the business that I had to run for BT, um, even though I didn't have the salesmen, they were in the account teams, et cetera, and the technical people were in the technical parts at Astral Park. Um, but basically I had to look at the market, understand what was happening, talk to the customers, build the product, set the pricing, um, and keep, uh, keep BT in the uh, top right-hand corner of the various quadrants of, uh, of providers around the world. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah. Through yeah. all of that, came interesting you know i spent i spent maybe the first five years sitting there trying to explain to people arcane features of mpls and how our arcane design of mpls was slightly better than orange business services or at&t or verizon etc mm -hmm. but then along came sd wan and and uh, and i moved from sort of the back seat in the customer meetings to the front seat when everybody wanted to speak to to talk about mm -hmm. this new technology and how they mm -hmm. would transform their networks so I led BT's introduction of SD-WAN, right. so you know, worked with first customers to do the first SD-WAN deployments, et cetera. Um, I left BT in May 2019, took an opportunity for early retirement, having uh, um, served the company well, I, I, I hope. And I suppose since then, I've been doing some part-time consultancy work, projects that interest me, um, in, in the wide area network, enterprise wide area networking. Um, it's very narrow, but it's very deep in terms of it. So uh, whilst 99% of people haven't <laughs> heard of it, yeah, uh, the one who have right. really do have some difficult questions and 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 want as much help as possible. So um, that that's what I'm doing now. That that is my waking life right now. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah excellent. Yeah, you know that's great. That's a great background. Thanks so much for for going through that. And and I'll just I'll just give this little brief uh, uh, statement that uh, believe it or not. We don't publish it in a book anymore, but we still do publish voice uh, termination minutes and pricing around mm -hmm. the world. So that that market is still there. Right? It's, uh, it's on its way out. There's no doubt about it. But uh, so yeah, it was um, arbitraged it, yeah. away a long while ago, wasn't it? Exactly. I, 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 I remember. No, this is this is this is maybe 20 years ago. I remember maybe 25 years ago. Um, I remember BT having absolutely nothing to do but routing a call that was originating in Finland, I think, and terminating in India and making mm -hmm. over a pound a minute profit just by effectively carrying yeah. that call yeah. around the world. There yeah. were some phenomenal amounts of money to be made, but um, mm -hmm. a very competitive market now, and Mao all moved to IP wholesale transit. Right. Yeah, well, you know, that, that actually sets the stage well for, for uh, MPLS here because uh, likewise, mm. the telecom products ebb and flow. Um, so, so let's just, you know, start with, with the very foundational question is, is MPLS dead? Is it dying? Is it, is it here to stay for a long time? Is it too complicated to, get, to give that kind of answer? <laughs> So I think, is it dead? Uh, no, I, I, I'd be confident that it's not dead. Um, I think maybe dying. 
Um, mm. I think it will be here to stay, but in reality, it's transforming. It's going to be something different. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at a couple of the analysts, um, those who predict future markets, their sort of mm. um, points, you, you've got Gartner looking at a 5% minus CAGA, so a decline of 5% per annum. Um, you've got IDC looking at the market being flat over the next five years. They're saying 0.4% growth, believe it or not. Um, but I think what you're going to see is you're going to see a change. Yeah, you're going to see a change in MPLS. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, you know, what, um, what, what carriers are seeing, what I was seeing in, in BT before I left, and, and, and what I can see out there at the moment in the market, um, talking to customers and talking to my old colleagues, et cetera, around the world, um, is a reduction in port numbers. So MPLS is changing mm -hmm. from very large numbers of E1, T1 ports, um, uh, and so redu reductions as, as those technologies close, um, but an increase in the bandwidth that's being carried. So in my time in BT, we were seeing 20% mm. per annum increase in actual bandwidth carried on mm -hmm. MPLS. Um, I believe it hasn't been quite so big over the last year because of the pandemic, people not going into offices and not driving bandwidth on the corporate ones, right. they're driving it over their broadband networks as well. But when they get back into those offices, uh, then we expect to see that bandwidth going up. And what you're seeing is a growth in mm -hmm. high capacity ports. So the one gig, 10 gig ports and a growth in traffic access to cloud services. So using the clouds all well right. and good, but if you've right. got a poor quality internet connection between where you are and, and where you want to be, and that's going to be the limiting factor. Um, a lot of organizations are still seeing MPLS as, as the route to cloud, um, which started with things like Microsoft mm -hmm. and Azure with Express Route and Direct Connect. Um, and is now very much right. around using MPLS to collect that traffic up and to put it to the appropriate cloud on ramp or cloud gateway, et cetera, in order to get the best combination of performance mm -hmm. and, and, and cost. So, you know, I think you're, you're seeing that. I think the other thing you're going to see in MPLS is a, a change in the structure of the networks. You've got carriers who designed mm -hmm. their MPLS networks because they wanted to have a pop in every major city because it was the major cities the conurbation, right. that's where the traffic originated. Uh, and you'd, you'd increase your profit right. by having a shorter access circuit as you could and getting to your cloud of MPLS mm -hmm. connectivity as quickly as possible. Um, right. And nowadays that's changing. Less and less organizations have either got their data centers, or their very large offices in headquarter, uh, headquarters, et cetera, in city locations. Um, their branches are moving more to mm -hmm. internet. So I think you're seeing the, uh, the, the you'll see that the structure of MPLS has changed. Probably footprints will shrink, um, and where you'll be seeing more and more mm -hmm. focus on capacities in the third-party data centres, the cloud on-ramp locations, etc. So I, I think it's it's it's, right. it's dying in terms of overall revenue. I, I I can't see all of these changes meaning that the revenue the carriers are going to get is 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 going to go down. Uh, it's going to go up, sorry. Um, I, mm -hmm. I can see that the prices will go down for people who are continuing to use MPLS. Um, and I can see that the, uh, the structures and the footprints will be changing. So, um, yeah, it is complicated. But right. anyway, that's, that's the view. Yeah, you know, there's a, there's a couple things that you said that I think are worth touching on uh, there. One is, is this observation that there's maybe... Uh, a movement toward larger MPLS ports. I, I would say we've seen that in in some of the WAN manager survey data and some of our cost benchmarking um, customers in that. If, uh, like you say, there's a branch office, um, uh, you're more likely to be able to run that 
entirely over internet. And so you're getting rid of some of those smaller MPLS ports, actually, but then you're keeping it for very large headquarter offices, especially if you still have some on-premises data centers, for example. Um, So so there's almost like this movement toward, um, you know, uh, fasty or even giggy kind of MPLS connections, whereas before it was, you know, much more typical uh, in the sort of, you know, five to, to 50 meg range. Um, I mean, that's still the most typical port size for MPLS, but but that, you know, you're seeing that kind of, uh, we, we call it the MPLS core, where you, mm-hmm. you drop it at a lot of the, the uh, you know, if you site type, you know, you got your type ones, they're the only ones that keep MPLS and two, three, four, whatever are, are down to, yeah. uh, to internet. And, yeah. and the other thing yeah. that I think that you touch on that, that is interesting um, from, from the telegeography perspective is this idea that um, MPLS prices. I mean, they've always been under pressure, right? That's that's what's kept us in business doing benchmarks, for example, right? Uh, yep. But but yeah, everyone's looking for this convergence of MPLS and DIA pricing. I think particularly from the more sort of tier one IP backbone providers, you, you're likely to see some of that. The difference, however, is that um, DIA is so much more often now available as kind of an on-net service in the customer building. And so you might be able to avoid that 10 meg ethernet line access charge altogether, which does make a big difference, right? So, you know, um, MPLS is always going to have that additional local access charge to it. Um, DIA sometimes does, sometimes doesn't. And so that that can be a big differentiator, you know? And when you look at the way MPLS networks and DIA networks are built by the large global carriers, it's Mm -hmm. pretty much the same. It's an ethernet last mile access to a pop. Mm. Uh, and in reality, the transport mechanism on the global backbone is typically either MPLS or Ethernet anyway, and you right. can carry your MPLS service over it, or you can carry your internet service over it. Um, so I think that there's a good chance that those two will uh, will effectively uh, uh, converge. And I think you see difference in, in prices. I think your data shows that in some parts of the world, you've got a significant difference in price between MPLS and DIA mm-hmm. and in other parts. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, yeah. Particularly in Western Europe, for example, the, the price difference isn't, isn't quite, as, quite as large. It always used to be the case that I felt five years ago in, in the US it was the highest, but I see from your latest data um, that actually um, mm-hmm. DIA and MPLS prices are getting a lot closer in North America. Yeah, and so some of what drives that, um, it, it, when there is a difference, is is when you have, um, uh, you know, companies that aren't maybe traditional telcos getting into the enterprise DIA space, you know, the the, mm-hmm. the likes of the Comcast or or Cogents of mm-hmm. the world, right? Uh, you know, just just have a, a, a totally different uh, cost structure than than a, a global provider that's selling, you know, DIA at, at points all around the world. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So, you know, I mentioned in the intro some of some of the drivers um, that uh, are separate, maybe if still very related, uh, that that might be contributing to the decline of MPLS. Um, obviously, cloud and SaaS. Um, in some cases, they might, you know, desire local internet breakouts for you know those SaaS and UCAS tools were born on the internet. They work on the internet. Um, you have changes in the available security models away from having to have those centralized firewalls with the centralized breakout um, and, and the opportunity to move to a more sort of sassy type model. Um, and of course, you know, the sort of 800 uh, pound gorilla is, is SD-WAN and supplanting some of the functionality of MPLS 
uh, around, you know, class of service, quality of service, availability, that sort of thing. Um, so, so given those factors, I'm just, I'm just curious how you kind of frame the changes in enterprise demand for the use mm-hmm. of MPLS. So I suppose for me, there are, there, there are three things that I was always talking with or am still talking with, with customers and organizations about. The first is their choice of architecture and what architecture they want to deploy over their SD1. The second is a choice of transport mechanism. And actually that can be separate from the choice of architecture. Uh, and the third is a discussion on the internet um, and talking about the internet as a destination and the internet as a transport mechanism. And I think a lot of the discussions people have on wide area networks and their evolutions mix all those things up. And I think you need to separate them out in terms of the drivers for the organization. I mean, if, if first of all, you look at the, at the changes in architecture, uh, I mean, the, the, the networks of some while ago, and in fact, I think the majority of networks still today, sit in a, a hub and spoke architecture. Um, where the majority of traffic is from the edge to the center. Um, the center is where people are firewalling and breaking out to the local internet or where they're running their applications. And I think the major change really that's driven that architecture is the move to cloud. Um, the fact that increasingly mm-hmm. applications are, as you say, sort of cloud friendly, built from the cloud and destinations are, uh, are no longer um, uh, in the data center, they're actually reached via the internet. Um, and I think that that's what's right. driving really a, a lot of the change away from MPLS is that organizations are looking at this and saying, well, well, actually, I, I want to break out my traffic locally. I want to do sort of local internet breakout. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that way I can get, I can use internet. I can get cheaper transport. I don't have to hub all my traffic back. Um, I can save costs at my central breakout points. I can improve performance with shorter links directly to the cloud. Um, but the problem I then get with local internet breakout is my security perimeter, um, which was really quite well controlled within my MPLS walled garden, moves from, I don't know, six locations, two breakouts per region, three major regions, um, to perhaps 600 locations. Um, and so right. I just need exactly. to, I, you know, yeah. I, I need a new security paradigm. I, I need to be moving away from protect the edge and I need to be thinking about actually that edge could become a, a little yeah. bit more, more permeable really. Um, and, and so, you know, that threat perimeter to, is much larger now, right? So it's yeah. much, sorry, much larger. Sorry. That's right. And, and in yeah. some countries and locations and on some connectivity that perhaps wasn't so secure as your ethernet connection directly linked into MPLS by your sort of mm-hmm. global provider. Um, I think separate to that is a change of transport mechanisms. Um, I, I mean, in reality, there are, there are three transport areas. You, you know, you can have ethernet delivered MPLS services. So you've got an ethernet, as you said, in that sort of last mile. You can have ethernet delivered DIA right. services. Um, and in both of those, the main cost constraint is that ethernet uh, connection in the uh, access circuit. Absolutely. Um, when you get on net, and if you do have lit, you're, living, you're lucky to be living in a lit building, I completely agree with you, DIA port charges are very competitive. <laughs> but when you add in those Ethernet circuits right. out to your perhaps more remote locations, then it's pretty much the same. And your third part of transport, though, um, is broadband and mobile. Uh, and I think what you're seeing is, you know, if, if you connect up a site on broadband or mobile access, you're looking at less than a tenth of the cost for transport for that site. Than if you're looking at MPLS, you know, DIA, right. maybe you're looking at um, half the cost, 
60%, 70% of the cost, depending upon your Ethernet access. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that leads you then to, to think about what is internet. Um, so, you know, internet as a destination or internet as a transport mechanism. So if I want to maintain my sort of mm-hmm. hub and spoke categories, um, uh, then, then I, can, I, can, I can keep that hub and spoke design, but I can actually change out the internet. Um, or alternatively, if my main driver is, I don't want to hub and spoke my internet-based traffic, my cloud-based traffic, et cetera. I want to break it out locally. I'll take on the security challenge and I'll move to a sort of a completely different architecture. Right, right, absolutely. Yeah, that's. I think that's really interesting. So to kind of separate out thinking of the the, the actual network topology and the changes there um, versus uh, the sort of opening up the world of, of your transport options as kind of like two sort of different uh, framing of, of the of the same issue, basically. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. suppose when I when I think about sort of separating the architecture and the transport, then then the customers that I've dealt with seem to fall into three groups. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the first group are those who want to stick with hub and spoke. Uh, I don't know, they run bespoke applications uh, that are run within their own data centers. They may have moved those mm-hmm. data centers to third party locations. They may be sitting in Equinix or whatever. It needn't necessarily be their own right. physical building in, 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 in their, uh, in their old environment. Right. Um, security is a good concern, is, is a concern for them. They've got a, I don't know, conservative approach to security in that they're still very much relying upon mm-hmm. perimeter security. And performance is a concern. They, they, they want to be able to give at least a guarantee of, of performance. And, and those are organizations which mm-hmm. I think are still sticking very much to MPLS. Um, uh, when I was working within BT, I, I, I was fortunate to be out there talking to yeah. loads of customers. And quite a lot of them said, well, actually, those are my main concerns. I, I, I'm, less, I'm less worried about mm-hmm. The money I might save by by moving to uh, to 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 internet transport, um, and I'm I'm more concerned about the impact on my company if my choice of architecture leads to a security breach. It's it's interesting that that you say that. I think in our last episode I brought this up because we were reviewing some of our WAN manager survey data, and so for you for your type one uh, company, if you will. Um, we 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 break these trends out by verticals, and and it is indeed the healthcare and the finance uh, mm-hmm. that had the greatest reliance on, on MPLS still. So I, I think that would fit into your your type one right there quite nicely. You know? That's right. And that's what we saw. It's very much what we saw within within BT. I mean, I suppose for a type two, um, people who are still interested in a hub and spoke type strategy. Um, so, uh, but they're, they're still reasonably security conscious um, mm-hmm. and perhaps interested in more in the perimeter security piece of it but they're also conscious on cost. Uh, and that's where I think a lot of organizations that I've seen have switched to internet transport, but they maintain the same sort of architecture. So they've been using IPsec mm-hmm. or DMVPN to create tunnels over the internet. It, it gives them the ability to sort of separate right. out their underlay provision from their overlay provision. Um, I mean, within, within mm-hmm. BT, we, we launched, um, it was a, uh, an IPsec we started with a DMVPN, but we ended up with an IPsec internet product, which was used by a lot of our customers at right at certain places within their architectures, not necessarily in that central core, mm-hmm. but a lot of them would use that. They didn't change their architecture. They didn't run fi- put firewalls out at every single location. They just basically nailed up a secure IPsec transport link um, back into either other locations or into, into a hub. 
Um, <clears throat> in the olden days, it was quite difficult to maintain. Um, and that's where SD-WAN right. came along, really, which, which effectively created the IPsec tunnels mm -hmm. and gave you the ability to configure and gave you an element of APM as well over the top of it. So um, I think that sort of architecture has always been there. Um, I said, you know, in BT, we had thousands right. of locations connected up in that 10 years ago. Um, and that, but SD-WAN makes that I was going to say, DIY you know, viable. yeah, if, if you go back to, to I'm thinking back to like 2016, 2017 or so when SD-WAN was, was just starting to be uh, a product uh, you know, named as such. And I, I had a lot of skeptics come along and say, well, wait a minute, I already have IPsec. <laughs> See, no, like, no, 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 this, you know, this is, you know, but you know, it's the, the, it's, it, it is in a way very much the same concept. It's just facilitating it, making it easier to manage, uh, uh, distribute that sort of thing, you know? So, yeah. It, it is as well. And it has some other benefits. And I suppose the third category of, of, of companies that, mm. that I was dealing with, particularly were the ones that were very much cloud driven. They'd moved themselves to cloud. Um, right. They'd they'd recognized that the, you know, the, the fortress of walled garden perimeter security would, you know, would eventually fall and it might as well fall and they'd take a, mm -hmm. a new approach to it. Um, and quite often they had large networks, branch networks. Uh, and quite often they were less worried about the absolute guarantee of performance over those networks uh, and more interested in those large networks about getting those costs down. Uh, and those are the ones that switch to internet right. as a transport, typically often using broadband and mm -hmm. uh, mobile internet. So, you know, a couple of broadband circuits or broadband right. and backup, et cetera. Um, and then, of course, SD-WAN applied to that also gives them the ability to do not only the local internet breakout, but to extend those SD-WAN devices into the cloud. So they can still have their secure mm -hmm. IPsec tunnels effectively, and they can still secure their traffic completely, but they don't necessarily need to take that back into their own central hub and spoke data center. They can pick it straight off and take that traffic directly right. into their AWS or into their, uh, their, their um, uh, Azure. Yeah. Now, I was gonna say quite a lot of the companies that, that I was working with had, you know, basically had different architectures for um, you know different solutions, um, I was speaking mm -hmm. with. I think I was running one of the panels for you, wasn't I? On the um, one summit before last, uh, speaking to one of our colleagues, Robin from Barclays, who has five different WANs. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he's had right. UK branch exactly. network WANs. He has WANs and brand Exactly. And so basically, and he's got, you know, uh, global high level finance, etc. So so basically, he has five networks and he has, I won't say different technologies, but he takes an appropriate approach of underlay and architecture mm -hmm. that meets, suits him best for, you know, for each of those five different deployments. Um, uh, and, and I think, you know, as you say, get back to the question, you're still going to see some MPLS in there in those sort of first categories. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but they're going right. to want it because that's their architectural demands upon performance, security, and the the way they want to structure their uh, structure their their data. Um, I mean, in terms of the industries, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I'm seeing very much similar to you, uh, banking and finance services and maintaining their MPLS services. I, I suppose you know you could you can imagine those customers are, are perhaps more worried about security and and, and less worried about very very sort of thin margins mm -hmm. um i think the ones that have gone the other way right. are sort of retail yes. shop networks um branch networks mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. exactly uh, yep. yeah I, I mean i had some customers 
who would tell me that it didn't really matter if their branch was off the air for an entire day. Um, they could still trade because they had mm-hmm. a sort of a Mac mm-hmm. backup for their uh, card traders. And at the end of the uh, at the end of the, the, right. the day, um, they just upload the data and they get downloaded the data and the, the latest stock. But then I had others who said, "No, you know, it's critical. I, yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm client facing, and if I don't have connectivity when I'm client facing opticians, for example, uh, then I can't do my business, and I, I let my customers down." So again, there's a sort of a mix between them. Um, manufacturing oil and gas were also a couple of the um, categories that we found were maintaining MPLS networks between their core sites. Um, and, and again, you know, I mean, organisations like Shell, BP, Total were perfect examples of horses to courses. They each have core corporate networks, um, which fall more into category one. They, they need to make sure they've got performance between those locations. They've got to get their well logging data back to their central processing locations, et cetera, in real time. Um, and they've got four court networks, mm-hmm. uh, which fall perfectly into the, right. let's get myself some broadband and some mobile backup. Um, and I can, you know, I can run the ATM. I can keep a track of the fuel in the in the petrol tanks, and I can do some transactions in the shop. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I really like that. Obviously, as an analyst, uh, it's important to frame and categorize things so that we that we can then draw charts and look at differences and and all that sort of thing. So I, I think, um, uh, and and I should say, it very much comports with um, the conversations that we have with with the end users in terms of sort of, um, you know, what their, what their needs are and then how that impacts, um, you know, how, but the, 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 the way that they set things up, but what I really liked the way that you set it up there was that, uh, within one customer's network that it can be within these different types, depending on what the, the, the site that they're connecting is doing, whether, you know, a factory floor with IOT has very different needs than, uh, you know, a credit card swiping uh, point of sale mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so that was all around um, the, the topology of the network and how that leads to their tolerance of internet versus MPLS. Does this uh, sort of framework um, sort of play out in how SD-WAN might uh, be best used at, at those different types of sites or for those different types of networks as well? Yeah, I think it does. I mean, even for sort of the type ones, the ones that have got their hub and spoke focused on security, they've got to focus on performance. Um, one thing MPLS always lacked was the category that seems to have disappeared now, application performance management, APM, mm. has been mm-hmm. taken over very much by SD-WAN. So what the customers didn't have was they didn't have anything that gave them a very good view of application performance, visibility, the ability right. to prioritize traffic between different paths. Yes, MPLS has class of service. So within the MPLS path, you can prioritize your important versus your less important. Um, but what this mm-hmm. basically gives you, what SD-WAN gives those is the visibility, the central control, uh, the ability to manage their own overlay, drive their application performance and see what's going on. So deploying SD-WAN over MPLS is still a sensible thing to do, um, even if you could say you're right. unnecessarily IPsec tunneling and encrypting stuff over uh, over a transport mechanism right. doesn't need it. Right. Um, uh, I think yeah. then onto the second ones, then clearly SD-WAN is a really simple portal-based way to create your overlay above your internet-based mm-hmm. underlay network. Um, you know, there are different ways to produce secure tunnels, but a nice easy way to, to do that is through an SD-WAN device. Um, if you are using internet, you're going to have variations in, in underlay performance. 
And so SD-WAN has the ability to focus the application traffic over those and effectively keep the most right. important stuff going as your demand changes or, or your network changes. Um, so I think, you know, you're getting that visibility and that, and that really easy ability to manage an overlay network um, and use an underlay from multiple suppliers of whatever happens to be the technology mm -hmm. or type you want. Mm -hmm. And I think for the third group, the sort of group looking at local internet breakout, um, yeah, SD-WAN has, I suppose, some challenges um, in that most of the original SD-WAN devices came with, I don't know if I could say pretty basic ACLs in order to uh, um, enable you to, mm -hmm. I mean, it's completely mm -hmm. secure on the IPsec, so you could figure it up to say, no, you know, traffic only comes in and out through that port, IPsec is all I do. But if you do the local internet breakout right. option, you've got to have some ACLs there. And I think customers have looked at the growing importance, therefore, of security. I think SD-WAN in these environments has really forced customers see um, CSO departments, security departments, to talk with the network departments and come up with a way forward. Um, mm -hmm. I suppose you could say, I think it's really interesting, the, the meteoric rise of Fortinet SD-WAN from a company that really wasn't in the market mm -hmm. a few years ago to you know one of the top yeah. five suppliers now. Yeah. Um, because of the strength and importance of, of, uh, of firewalling and securing that internet breakout. Um, and SD-WAN also gives the ability yeah. to deploy those SD-WAN images at the cloud locations. So you can actually provide that connectivity directly mm -hmm. within your IPsec secure overlay cloud, directly into your AWS, mm -hmm. Azure, et cetera. Um, so I think SD-WAN is a great for flexibility, visibility, and overlay, and uh, funded by the fact that with that, you can move from um, I don't know, an expensive MPLS T1, E1 connection into a branch, uh, into a couple of much, much cheaper broadband connections and a mobile backup. Right. With, while increasing the bandwidth uh, pretty significantly for that. And matter, giving yeah. you increased bandwidth as well, because bandwidth growth was always one of the main problems, I think, that uh, was challenging everybody and mm -hmm. challenged on MPLS where bandwidth growth went with port growth, which, which went with um, higher prices. It's yeah. It's it, it, the other interesting thing I think there is uh, you know mentioning that uh, that within one enterprise there might be these different site types that puts you in these different categories, and then your needs for what you're getting out of SD WAN are going to be different. Uh, given that there are some differences in what the SD WAN vendors really are focused on and excel at, right? So, so you mentioned Fortinet, there's, you know, Palo Alto mm. also doing SD-WAN or there's Riverbed doing SD-WAN. Would, would you mm. recommend in some cases maybe different overlay providers for these different site types? Uh, maybe where monitoring is my focus, I go with an SD-WAN that was born from a monitoring kind of company or has a good monitoring, you know, partner integration and maybe different uh, uh, type of SD-WAN or, or would you generally recommend that for interoperability's sake and whatnot, you want to have a single overlay provider across these different site types. I think that if you're using your SD-WAN in pretty much the same way, mm -hmm. you're going to get a benefit from having one vendor, one type of experience you need to get, uh, one set of equipment to manage. Um, so I think that, but, but, but where you are seeing completely different types of network, so mm -hmm. I wouldn't necessarily deploy the same form of SD-WAN on top of an MPLS network to give me the APM type functions um, right. as I would deploy on a branch network. And I think you can see that. I mean, just look at the Cisco portfolio um, where you, know, you have a clear separation between where you choose Meraki 
um, on the basis that you get some routing, but you're going to get firewall and you're going to get security cameras and you get a LAN switch, et cetera, right. and you get Wi-Fi. Um, and where you choose the, you know, the Cisco SD-WAN, um, the old Bitpella, um product, uh, where in reality you're going to get industrial strength and size, the ability to integrate it in with your ISR routing set. So, so I mean, I think there are different sort of courses for courses. Um, and then there are other vendors out there who aren't necessarily focused directly on the end user market. Companies like um, Nokia Nuage and Equinox, who focus themselves on service providers to enable the service provider to right. build their SD-WAN capability and service, um, uh, 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 rather than uh, effectively be a reseller of the brand that the, that the enterprise has chosen. That was another change I did notice, actually. Um, uh, in the days of NPLS, no customer ever asked me which vendor's equipment I'd built my NPLS core on. Now, the first question when talking about SD-WAN is, you know, um, I've had a piece of Versa equipment in the lab. Do you, do, do you support managed Versa deployments? Or I've had a piece of Bitpella or something. So I think that, that, you know, a challenge for the carriers has definitely meant that change movement from build the best solution and compete at a product level with features and price and service to, oh, you've already chosen, you want a uh, Cisco SD-WAN solution, right? Well, don't worry, I can deploy and manage that for you. Right, absolutely. Yeah, so so you you kind of drove us right in the direction of of the last thing that that I wanted to touch on there, um, which is that of course you know I spend a lot of time talking to the end users, but I also spend uh, a fair bit of time talking to to the folks at telcos, large and small, truthfully, um, uh, that. Um, have long been thinking about the directions all of this is headed. Um, they knew that uh, that you know MPLS was going to change. Um, uh, you know, uh, certainly not. Um, most carriers weren't uh, weren't talking about its disappearance, but it's it's changed in the roles along the lines of of what you've been saying here. Um, and and they've been thinking through um, you know uh, that offering to customers in in how they can uh, sort of. Um, uh, evolve along with with the evolving enterprise network. I'm just curious, since you've had uh, a foot in sort of both of those worlds mm-hmm. now, right? Um, uh, you, you know, do you think the the especially the large carriers that that tended to be the go to choice for a a multinational, you know, sort of uh, Fortune mm-hmm. 1000 sized enterprise? Uh, do you think that they've responded would um, uh, in the right way? Would would you sort of guide them toward um, uh, a, 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 any different directions than than what you've seen? I think that the uh, and when you look at some of the large carriers, they've they've got a um, a couple of disadvantages in the world of agility and and, mm. and deploying new technology. Right. Um, the yeah. first one is that they're based on networks and those networks have footprints and and whilst it's perhaps quite easy Perhaps it's quite easy to say, oh, I no longer need these particular nodes and I want them over here. It's actually quite hard to do. Closing down right. a node when you've got customers on it is a major, major effort for the carriers. So in a way, they're, they're a little bit stymied by their footprints and also stymied by the fact that they have typically large and complex bespoke OSS and BSS services, their operational support systems that create their products and services. Mm-hmm. So they're not able to move as agilely and quickly um, to bring in some of the sort of the new offerings. I think they have risen to the cloud 
MPLS Express route and Direct Connect and mm -hmm. linking into the cloud and providing their customers a, a, a good route into uh, into cloud that isn't just the public internet is uh, uh, you know is, is is very good. I think they've also done quite well in terms of helping customers get the best from MPLS. Um, uh, mm -hmm. using the class of service correctly, making sure you're getting the best performance, enabling you not to need to buy a whole load more and perhaps wait for the SD-WAN market to, to mature for a year or two before it's obvious which, uh, you know, which vendor to take, as we've already discussed, you know, completely new leaders can appear in the market within a, within a couple of years. Um, but I think that uh, there are some new competitors they need to think about, some new approaches. I mean, um, particularly, the importance of POTS in metro areas looks very much like it's, it's decreasing. Um, and the majority of access is increasing right, from the right. third party data centers uh, and the places it needs to access to are the, are the on ramps, et cetera. Um, and um, I think there's a, a growth for customers in their need for multi-cloud delivery, multi-cloud traffic. Uh, and then I think sort of the likes of Megaport, Packet Fabric, BSO, um, they, they built their networks based on new OSSs. So basically, they don't configure in days, they right. configure in minutes. Well, I've never actually seen it in the minutes, but I'll, I'll believe them. But anyway, it's an order of magnitude faster than the traditional telcos who OSSs aren't designed, designed to support mm -hmm. a system that deployed access circuits over a matter of <clears throat> weeks or, or maybe even months. Um, and I think it's, it's sort of those are the, um, the kind of, of organizations that you're going to be seeing uh, effectively challenging some of the carriers in future. Um, I think the carriers also can do a little bit more. When I look outside now, I get more chance to look at some of the external offerings working with other customers at some of the, I'll say, clever ways in which you can improve and deliver the performance of internet. Um, everything from basically mm -hmm. just monitoring multiple routes between source and destination and, and choosing the one that actually happens to have the lowest latency at that time, um, all the way through to right. accelerating private clouds of internet, the way our hacker have been doing for, for many, many sort of uh, uh, years. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I think mm -hmm. that most of the carriers, with the exception of Tata, who attempted to create, did create, I'll say, the equivalent of class of services over their massive internet backbone. Um, uh, but I think right. the majority of the yeah. carriers can 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 put a bit more effort into the, the, you know using their network to differentiate their internet service rather than saying actually my DIA is a you know it's an access link to my to my nearest pop and I'll roll out pops and I think those are the areas yeah. that, that that they need to uh, need to change. That's really that's all really interesting. I'll say that it 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 does I mean meshes really well. I mean. We've always had a lot of overlap in what we do uh, between whatever you're working on and telegeography. But, you know, we, we we tracked for many years, maybe the past 10 years, MPLS uh, pop footprints, right? Mm -hmm. And we still do. But we added to that a few years ago on-ramp footprints because those footprints are now increasingly important compared mm -hmm. to just my my MPLS footprint. And actually, the newest thing we've begun tracking within that world is is middle mile optimization and and the different ways that that you might go about 
ensuring that that traffic over that middle mile um, when when you know largely we had been focused on on the customer site and the carrier pop uh, pr- previous to that because in the MPLS world there wasn't really a middle mile to be concerned with but that's a, uh-huh. very much what you're touching on there is that um, you know sort of different backbone providers have a very different middle mile experience um, and and that could be a place where, where carriers could really differentiate their service compared to going to multiple ISPs around the world for example yes I, I think I think you're right uh, and I think a number of these middle mile providers also are coming up with quite creative offerings mm-hmm. um, which which would be um, uh, I don't know perhaps even accelerate the uh, uh, the move away from MPLS uh, for I sure mean, um, no doubt the one I quite like recently I um, in fact I, I think I, I learned it on your um, uh, panel session on the uh, the WAN summit the most oh, WAN yeah. summit on mm-hmm. security um, with the Megaport Virtual Edge. So the creation ah, yeah. mm-hmm. of um, NFV devices linked into their OSS at their pots. Now, Megaport have 700 mm-hmm. pots, they tell us, but they're actually only deploying these to start off with at right. 17. But the idea being that if you've got a um, whatever type of SD-WAN, they're launching the Cisco SD-WAN, but basically if you've got that deployed in 200 of your locations, you just drop a 201st at that pot and you can then route their traffic directly over that to any of the um, cloud on ramps, the hundreds of cloud on ramps or other third party data centers that they're already connected to. And I think that sort of architecture of a short internet access piece linked in with your SD-WAN and then delivered over a backbone, which is run by a, a more modern OSS and considered you know, Ethernet connectivity at very high speeds, it is gonna be a good competitor for, for MPLS going forward. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. Well, with that, um, you know, I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll put a bow on this and see if you want to add anything to it. But um, to, to answer the question that we posed at the top here, MPLS is is not going away, but you do need to rethink your relationship with it uh, based on on the parameters that you outlined here. Any any sort of uh, parting thoughts to add there? Yeah, I think I think that's exactly it, really. It, it's it's it is a combination of horses for courses. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that, that you know, in, in terms of breaking it down and instead of thinking about it, do I want an MPLS network or do I want an internet network? When you're talking about, well, what actually kind of architecture do I want? What transport effectively do I want? How do I want to secure that? What's my approach to security and security policies? Um, and what added features do I want to see on top? What do I really value? Um, I think that's the kind of thing that should drive organizations through their um, their sort of WAN transformation uh, as their needs for their network to change is driven very much by their changing traffic patterns, changing applications, uh, and uh, and sort of um, particularly, you know, sort of new move to new types of communication in the new world. Yeah, absolutely. So, Keith, any any place uh, in particular that listeners should try to find you, LinkedIn, uh, anything else? Yeah, I mean, more than happy to talk to uh, talk to anyone. As you can tell, I've been doing this for a long time. I've got some interesting thoughts, and, and I've yeah. been able to spend the last year or so um, talking with some of the uh, new technologies and new providers and new leaders and, and thinking without perhaps the constraints of, oh, I can't have that in my portfolio because I could never build it. It's a great idea. Um, and get hold of me. best thing to get hold of me is by LinkedIn. So uh, send me a LinkedIn request, send me a message, and I'll be uh, I'll be more than happy to uh, to talk to anyone. 
Yeah, excellent. And um, as listeners know, I always like to ask a sort of non-related telecom question at the end. Now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I seem to recall that you are a caravanner. Is is that uh, is that the case? Campervan, campervan. So um, yeah. the ah, uh, the gotcha. main reason the main reason that I'm uh, I decided I I pack up full time employment um, is for the flexibility of the open road. Uh, so I have yeah. a, a VW camper. And um, nice. the plan has been to uh, head off around Europe for uh, sort of, you know, a, a significant part of the summer, um, go off and, and, and just basically mm-hmm. enjoy different locations, different cultures, different places, living in the outdoors uh, and driving around in the van. Um, it's just unfortunate yeah. over the last year, the van spent most of its time on the drive. Um, the only excitement I get out of it is to clean it every now and then. Um, but uh, really looking forward to everything opening up and, and foreign travel starting again. And, and that's it. You'll, uh, next time you find me uh, joining a WAN summit, it might well be from a campsite in the south of France or uh, uh, halfway up a mountain in Switzerland. Man. I have to say, I'm, I've, I've got school-age children, so that's uh, not in the cards right now. But I would definitely consider the digital nomad lifestyle. My folks my folks had an RV when I was a kid, and I've always well mm-hmm. kind of been attracted to that. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I wish you the best of luck. Um, hopefully, you can, uh, if you. you're not vaccinated already, it's coming soon, and you, know, you can get, yep, get we'll on the road. Soon. That'd be lovely. Looking forward to it. Excellent. And um, thank you very much, Greg. It's been great talking to you. Yeah, it was a pleasure. We'll we'll definitely do this again sometime and check in on how things have developed. So, Good. Thank you. Excellent. Cheers. Thanks very much for listening. The WAN Manager podcast is brought to you by Telegeography, a division of Primetrica Incorporated, and is edited and produced by Jane Miller. I wrote the theme song you're listening to right now, and we get administrative canine support from my dog, Honeybun, who you might hear chiming in from time to time when the mood strikes her. If you want to learn more about our data, head over to telegeography.com, where you can find our blog that covers many of the topics we hit here, and you can sign up for our WAN Manager newsletter. Until next time, have a great day. So guess what, folks? We got some big news at Telegeography, and that is that we just launched our WAN forum. What is a WAN forum? Well, this is a content hub and community for anyone involved in the management of a WAN or in IT infrastructure for mid to large enterprises. And it's got all the analysis and content that you enjoy from Telegeography related to the WAN, uh, plus some extra videos, some interviews, and some uh, special tools that we've designed um, just uh, for inclusion here, like our SD-WAN vendor selector, um, a high-level WAN cost calculator to give you some ideas of what market prices are. Basically, if you like the kind of stuff that we talk about on this podcast and you're an end user, we think that you'll enjoy the WAN forum. And of course, this is a space meant to be shared, which is why a WAN forum subscription includes access for up to 20 members of your team. So check it out by heading to WANforum.com. We'll be adding some new tools, constantly adding new analysis, and announcing some upcoming WAN forum events very soon. So you want to make sure you bookmark that. That's WANforum.com. We can't wait to see you there and for you to dive in.